0: This is a a Marian doctrine of the Church that is so easily misunderstood. And I want to ask the question, can you defend the Immaculate Conception of Our Lady by using the sacred scriptures? Especially for our non-Catholic Christian friends, they want to know, where is this in the Bible? And you can. You can. And By the way, if you can even just correctly explain what the Immaculate Conception of Mary is to somebody else you're well ahead of a lot of Catholics. It's a tricky one for people to explain because the Immaculate Conception of Mary is very often confused with the Virginal Conception of Jesus, which of course takes place on the Annunciation. We celebrate that on March the 25th, nine months before Christmas, naturally. Here's the actual definition of the Immaculate Conception of Mary straight from the source himself who who released the dogma Blessed Pope Pius IX, also known as Pio Nono. And this was from an apostolic constitution solemnly defining the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, which was released on December the 8th, 1854. In "Ephabilius Deus, which essentially means the Immaculate God. So here's what he said. Here's what he wrote. Quote, We declare, pronounce, and define that the doctrine which holds that the Most Blessed Virgin Mary, in the first instance of her conception, by a singular grace and privilege granted by Almighty God, in view of the merits of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the human race, was preserved, free from all stain of original sin, is a doctrine revealed by God, and therefore to be believed firmly and constantly by all the faithful. So that's uh, the, uh, the quote from this uh, Apostolic Constitution, released on December the 8th, on this day in 1854. I really strive to show the biblical basis of our Catholic faith. And so it's no different here. We, we can, of course, observe the biblical basis of this doctrine. And where can you find the Immaculate Conception of Mary in Scripture? You can find it in Luke's Gospel. And, of course, this is the account of the Annunciation. Now, this is where the Archangel Gabriel greets Mary. And it's the only time, by the way, in all of Scripture. Now, there are, there are angelic appearances that are recorded in Scripture, Old and New Testament. But this is the only one when an angel greets someone by their title, not by their name. Because what does Gabriel say to Mary? He says, Hail Full of grace, the Lord is with you. That's Luke chapter 1, verse 28. And it it just really rankles me that there are some English translations of the Bible, and maybe you've come across some of them, that translate uh, this verse as, Hail, O highly favored daughter, or something like that. That is not what it says in Greek. And, And there's a real clue here in terms of the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. But we'll get into that in just a second. We know, of course, that this is also the first line of the Hail Mary. Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Hail, Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. We, of course, just uh, add her name into that line. But this is biblical. And the second line of the Hail Mary is also straight out of the Bible. From Luke chapter 1, verse 42, later on, the visitation. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Of course, this, these are the words of Elizabeth uh, to Mary. So, so much for the ridiculous argument that the Hail Mary is an unbiblical prayer. It's not the case at all. All right, so let's, let's get back to Hail full of Grace here just for a second. So again, Gabriel's greeting Mary by her title, not by her name. And in the original Greek of Luke's gospel, and by the way, Luke is, he is phenomenal. In, in the original Greek language, of course, Luke wrote about a quarter of the New Testament because he wrote the Gospel of Luke in part two of his two-volume set is the Acts of the Apostles. He was, of course, the traveling companion to the Apostle Paul. And his Greek is so good. It's approaching classical Greek. Uh, really, really amazing. So his choice of words, it's no mistake. He uses this term, full of grace. And what is this term in the original Greek text? It is this, kikaratomene. kikaratomene. Uh, its You don't need to remember that. But what it actually means is quite literally, one who has been made full of God's grace. So again, these biblical translations that render this term as highly favored one or something to that effect, they don't cut it. They don't cut the mustard. Kikaratomene in Greek. Now, I had to study some Greek when I was doing my master's degree. And language study was really difficult for me. But I do know this. This term, kikaratomene, is a past perfect term in the original Greek. What does that mean? When you're dealing with a past perfect, it essentially means that at some point in the past, with this word, it literally means one who has been made full of God's grace. At some point in the past, Mary was made perfectly full of God's grace, and that condition extends as far out into the future as the eye can see, even farther into eternity. And that's exactly what the Immaculate Conception is all about. From the first moment of her existence, Mary was preserved free from all stain of original sin. G.K. Chesterton said that original sin is the only Catholic doctrine you can prove by simply walking down the street or picking up a newspaper or checking the internet. Sin is all over the place, but not in the case of Mary. Mary was preserved free from all stain of original sin. And if you're perfectly full of the grace of God, remember, it's a past perfect term. There's no room for sin. It's all grace. And so this kind of goes back to the very first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, the, the first gospel, quite literally, it's referred to by scholars as the proto-evangelium. And speaking of the original sin, speaking of Adam and Eve just plunging uh, humanity into uh, the state, as soon as this happened, the first gospel appeared right after Adam and Eve fell into Satan's trap. What does God say to the Satan, to the serpent? He says, I will put Enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, he will strike at your head while you strike at his heel. That's Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Now, of course, what does the word enmity mean when God says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman? Enmity means total opposition. So really, he can't actually be speaking. About Eve here because Eve wasn't in total opposition to Satan they were in some way they had kind of teamed up in some way she was kind of under the sway of Satan because of her sin so this has to be talking about another woman it has to point forward to Mary and the church fathers called Mary the new Eve and that's one of the reasons why Jesus is called and Paul talks about this in Romans we just mentioned this the other day on the Faith Explained show jesus is the new adam the second adam and that's also why in john's gospel mary is never referred to by her name at the wedding feast in cana it simply calls her the mother of jesus in john chapter 2 and jesus actually refers to mary as woman woman my time has not yet come my hour has not yet come and on the cross he says woman here's your son son here is your mother We're talking to of course john the apostle who most people think is the source behind the Gospel of John, the author of John, if you will. Why is he calling her woman? He's not being disrespectful. This is because of her position as the new Eve. And that's what Eve, of course, meant woman. And so she is such a powerful help to us in our own battle against the enemy. And in Mel Gibson's film, The Passion of the Christ, there's this great scene. And, and to me, it really spoke to this total enmity. That's the passage of scripture that popped up in my mind. When I saw this scene, Mary is following Jesus on the way of the cross. And on the other side of the street, there's the devil, there's Satan. And he's walking in the total opposite direction. He's walking away from Christ. And he sees Mary across the street. And he kind of tries to intimidate her. He's trying to stare her down. She knows he's there, but she keeps focused. She keeps her eyes on her son that's the total enmity that to me spoke of that that scriptural reality and so this is what we have to understand on this uh, incredible feast day of the immaculate conception and so we, we need to pray that prayer oh mary conceived without sin pray for us who have recourse to you but this uh, doctrine does give rise to a lot of questions, especially among our non-Catholic friends and family members, coworkers, people that we meet. And one of the big questions that people ask is, to "Say, to okay, if Mary was preserved from all stain of original sin and, and the church holds she didn't commit any actual sins in her life either, if she's sinless, doesn't that make her some sort of a divine being? And the answer is, of course, no. It's a trope that has become almost comically overdone, this accusation that Catholics worship Mary we don't we know the first commandment we only worship the one true and living god but we honor Mary that's a lot different we give her what's called extreme honor there's a latin term for it hyperdulia because she's the greatest creature of all greater than any angel or any other saint and so when people say this this you know doesn't this make her in some ways equal to god being being sinless no not the case at all and one of the things that we talked about um when dealing with St. Paul's letter to the Romans on the Faith Explained show, when we were talking about original sin, one of the things I said is that when we come into the world before we are baptized, this whole thing with original sin, it's not something that we've done, but we are missing something when we come into the world. And it's worse than coming into the world, missing a limb, missing an arm, missing a hand, missing a leg. We are missing the very grace of God, the very life of God. So we have natural life, but we don't have supernatural life. And that's given back to us at baptism. Original sin is washed away. We're infused with the life of God. So we're all created in the image of God. It means we have a rational soul, but we're missing the likeness part, which Adam and Eve had at the beginning. They lost it. And that is the life of God uh, infused within them. And so this is what we get back in baptism. And so whenever we sin, we really fall short of what being truly and fully human is really all about. And uh, my friend Jimmy Aiken once wrote an article uh, for Catholic Answers that's sort of rebutting some of the questions that people have and doubts that people have about the Immaculate Conception. And that's what he said. He said that, look, if, if we're made in the image and likeness of God, we are called to live and to love as God lives and loves. And, that, and that's, this is why Vatican II says that Christ fully reveals man to himself. And in the beginning... No one was equal to God, yet sin was not there. When Adam and Eve did sin, they acted in a manner, and this is how Jimmy Aiken puts it, that was beneath their dignity, because they were made in the image and likeness of God. And that sin took away from who they were supposed to be. So it's, it's falling short. It's missing the mark. And that's what St. Paul says in Romans. That's the very definition of sin. It's one of the definitions of sin anyways. It's missing the mark. This is not what we're supposed to be. And so Mary, Mary is the, as one writer said, the solitary boast of our race. She is a, a picture of what we're all called to be, to be that totally responsive person in, in love with the Trinity. I, I just, I think it's incredible. So she gives the most glory to God because she is that perfect masterpiece. Here's another common question that people do raise. They say, how could Mary be sinless? Even she herself said in the Magnificat in Luke's Gospel, "My soul rejoices in God, my Savior." That's not a problem for us because Mary is correct in saying that that yes, God is her Savior, and all of us need a Savior. But the way that Mary was saved, the the way that Mary was redeemed, was totally different from the way God works with us. She she wasn't she didn't actually need redemption in a certain sense. She was saved ahead of time one of the church fathers uh, saint Irenaeus he, he put it this way there's a couple ways to to save somebody from a muddy pit you can either pull them out of the mud and hose them off once they've fallen in but a more perfect way to save them is to prevent them from falling in in the first place and that's exactly what god did with mary he prevented sin from ever touching her it was god who did it and in in either case it's always god who does it god who does the saving but the way in which he preemptively saved Mary, I guess he could say, from the very moment of her conception. So how about that? So this is uh, totally in keeping with Catholic doctrine. And the Catechism of the Catholic Church says this in paragraph 492, that this gift was given to Mary, and she was, quote, redeemed in a more exalted fashion by reason of the merits of her son. This entire episode of The K.O. Clark Show is available on the Relevant Radio app. The Relevant Radio app is completely free and updated daily with fresh articles, podcasts, and prayers. Don't delay. Download the app today, and thanks for listening.